1: The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including... AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida. K-O-H-I AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon. K-H-R-O AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob Vicom. I am the god of
0: hellfire, and I bring you. Fire!
1: Welcome back to The Exxon, everyone. My name is Robin Connell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Ustream TV. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. That is toll-free. My email address is xzone at com on MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, com. One of the most compelling stories for the existence of extraterrestrial life, visitation, and alien abduction is the story my next guest has told to the Exxon Nation over the years and is, in my opinion, one of the most credible stories that I have ever heard. Travis Walton is with us tonight here in the Exxon. We're going to be talking to Travis about the incidents that happened in November 1975 when a group of six tree trimmers were driving back from work in a truck uh, in the uh, Greve Apache National Forest in Arizona. The driver stopped the truck when he noticed a flying saucer was hovering about 15 feet above some nearby trees. Travis Walton, our guest this hour, approached the craft on foot, despite the objections of his workmates. He was then knocked to the ground by a blue ray, a uh, blue and white light. When the men in the truck saw this, they were terrified and sped off down the road, leaving him for dead. Now, once they had calmed down, they returned to the spot and could not find any sign of Travis or the flying saucer. Five days later, Travis was returned to Earth, wondering what happened to him for the past few days. Here's a website you're going to want to remember and visit: www.travis-walton.com. That's travis-walton.com. And Travis Walton, welcome back to the X Zone. Always great having you on the show, Travis.
0: How you doing, Rob?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing super, Travis. And it, it seems that your story. It's starting to pick up steam again. Uh, There's a lot of chatter about you on the Internet. Different shows are talking about you. And and everybody is now pointing to your story going back to November 1975 as the Rosetta Stone for alien abductions.
0: Well, I don't understand the phenomenon. I'm I'm all of a sudden getting email from all over the world at a higher rate. I don't know. The movie's been out for, what, 17 years?
1: Mm. Has it been that long? Wow! Wow!
0: <laughs> Doesn't seem that long. Uh, I talked to a a, a couple um, here recently that said that they went in to rent the movie and they had to get on a waiting list. And yeah, that's just—they were amazed that after this much time, the, the movie would be that popular.
1: Travis, you and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Please stand by. Always great having you on the show, Travis. Travis Walton is our special guest XO Nation, www.travis-walton. Dot com. That's www.travis-walton.com. And Travis and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Travis Walton is my guest. We're talking about fire in the sky. Once again, www.travis-walton.com. We'll be back. Don't go away, Exxon Nation. Yeah. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call two zero one nine three four eight nine eight six or Skype at Elizabeth. Joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new visions.com. say. Welcome back, XO Nation. Travis Walton is our special guest of this hour, www.travis-walton.com. And uh, Travis, when when you talk to your family about the sudden interest or the renewed interest in your story in the movie Fire in the Sky, does anybody have any idea why all of a sudden, after all these years, it's starting to spike all over again?
0: I don't understand it, and nobody else <laughs> does either. It's just all of a sudden, um, I don't know. It's I, it's kind of a synergism of different things that who could fathom that, but it's. Uh, I think it just, over time, um, it gradually soaks in, you know. Um, the The... The mainstream media is one end of what affects, you know, people out there. But sure. then from the other side, there's the Internet and word of mouth, and it all just kind of percolates and reaches a critical mass of some kind. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: And And, of course, your story, as I said in the introduction, to many of us is the Rosetta Stone because of your credibility, because of the media scrutiny, the scrutiny by law enforcement, as, as well as the, the scrutiny of your friends, relatives, neighbors. You know, you, it, it's a story that... Well, and it's, importantly,
0: it's, the, the scrutiny of the debunkers. Exactly. I took head on. And in the book, I, I, I took each and every charge and pointed people to verifiable, uh, independently uh, you know available information. To, you know, and uh, you know, people said I just totally blew their theories out of the water.
1: What is the most frequent question you get asked, uh, Travis, when you go to uh, symposiums uh, and other gatherings where you've UFO people, uh, people who are in search of the truth, gather to try and find out what is out there and what is the truth? Because you've been there, you know. What What do they ask you? What kind of questions well, you do know
0: that'd be tough to say what was really the most common but one one that's probably uh, run into every time is uh, why mm-hmm. you know and why why me and uh, that's something that's weighed heavy on my mind for thirty five years or almost thirty five and um, I really still don't have an answer uh, probably my pet theory is that I just did the wrong thing at the wrong time and, and caused something to happen that otherwise wouldn't have.
1: You know, many of us would say you did something right at the right time and came back to tell us all about it.
0: Well, uh, I certainly wanted to come back. That was my yeah. uh, overriding thought throughout the experience. So I, um, I, You know, when I came to, I was in such a panic to get out of there. I was thinking, open a door and jump out, you know. Right. I wasn't thinking very clearly, and my mind was really clouded by, by hysteria, but, you know, I was, in the back of my mind, I guess, assuming that the craft was still hovering above the ground in the woods and I could open a door and, and jump to the ground, but probably wasn't the case. And yeah. had I actually been able to open a door, that might have been a big mistake.
1: You know, watch out for that first step. It's a doozy, and it's not the fall that kills, it's a sudden stop.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: What was it like inside the craft, Travis? What do you remember? Well,
0: you know, in the movie, they portray it as a kind of an organic look, and yeah. irregular and all cluttered, but it wasn't anything like that. It was very uh, m- machined uh, and uh, sterile, a very featureless sort of uh, metallic interior. Um, it was dimly lit and very cramped. It was a very claustrophobic feeling, probably mostly because I just couldn't seem to catch my breath. I couldn't get enough air. I don't know whether that was because of the atmosphere in there or or some injury from being hit with the beam.
1: What did it look like? Uh, what not did it look like, but what did those inside of the, the craft look like? Do you have any recall of their appearance or how they treated you, what kind of feeling you got from them?
0: Well, um, the first thing I laid eyes on when I finally uh, regained enough of my senses was these creatures. And, you know, up to that point, I'd been assuming that I'd been hurt, you know, and approaching the craft, but then I, that, that, uh, that I'd been taken by the crew to the emergency room. And so I thought I was in a hospital. Yeah. I could hear the sounds of movement around me, but when I finally could focus, I could see these weren't doctors, these were these creatures, and I just flipped out. Um, to me, you know, that was what dominated my nightmares for quite some time after the incident was d- looking into the to the face of these creatures who just seemed to be looking right into me, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just uh, very, very <laughs> uncomfortable to, to say the least.
1: One of our listeners uh, in Toronto, Ontario, would like to know how was the movie. Uh, how was it as far as reality compared to the actual events? Uh, you know, we talked about how they made the, the the spacecraft like an organic substance, and you said it was metallic machined. How else did the movie deviate from the actual accounts?
0: Well, you know, this was a story that was large and, and involved a lot of time and a lot of people and covered right. a lot of So they did simplify things, and, not, you know, some of those kinds of changes are understandable. You know, I had two brothers, Don and Dwayne, that were combined into one character named Dan. Uh, uh, Several investigators and lawmen were combined into one character played by James Garner and and another character uh, uh, played by Noble Willingham. Right. Uh, But, um, you know, they shortened things up in terms of time and distance and, And and actually, uh, they even reduced the number of crew. There was uh, seven of us out there, and they had a six-man crew in the movie. So, you know, they made minor changes like that that aren't really critical to an understanding of the story. But other things they did, um, like, for instance, at the end of the movie, you'll see a credit that says Geiger Counterman. And there's no such scene in the movie because they cut it out. Because this is something that actually happened at the site, where a guy came along and found high radiation readings, but they couldn't fit that in and keep uh, and maintain the uh, illusion for the audience that maybe this crew had murdered me and made up a story to cover up for what they'd done. Uh, you know that he was taken by UFO. You know that's that's why he's not here anymore. See. So and and then in the movie they uh, introduced this idea that there was a tabloid about aliens in the in the crew truck and mm-hmm. and that simply didn't happen. Uh, I didn't even know what a tabloid was. I don't know if they sold them in this town in those days, but um, um, there was there was probably the greatest amount of fictionalization was the part aboard the craft, mm-hmm. but there's there's one scene in there that actually served the purpose of communicating what i went through better than showing what actually happened and that was that feeling of suffocation that added so much to my feeling of panic i mean nothing will make you feel panic more than having your hair cut off and you know having that feeling right when i saw him is what just set me off and, and made me lose control to such a high degree but uh in the in the movie they had the actor uh shown with this membrane over his face where he's struggling to breathe mm-hmm. and i think that communicates to the audience much more directly what i felt rather than showing an actor standing there breathing hard-looking panic you you really wouldn't understand the 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 uh, the uh, lack of oxygen thing doing it that way
1: travis did you see so, other did you see other humans in the craft
0: um, well, I uh, was taken out of that craft by some people that I I, I I took to be human, but you know because of the way they treated me and the way the way I reacted, they reacted. I I came to have doubts were these really you know mm-hmm. uh, people you know that maybe they're uh, beings out there that look indistinguish indistinguishable from us. Um, they were uh, human looking now in the movie they had like uh, partially decomposed humans in the, in there and that's that didn't happen at all so you know the only humans i saw were uh, definitely in control of their own actions uh, however i don't i don't yeah. know whether they were cooperating with these creatures or uh, subservient to them or maybe even staging some kind of intervention i i, I don't know
1: has anyone ever proposed to you that the entire uh, event may have actually been conducted by humans posing as extraterrestrials? Come,
0: Actually, it occurred to me because uh, of certain things uh, that came to light. You know, the fact that it came, it, I learned later that there was a, a man from military intelligence on the next ridge who witnessed the whole thing. He came forward and, and Paramount had him polygraphed, and you know he passed the part about being from military intelligence right. and seeing the craft and the beam and everything. But when he was asked about uh, being in in league with people who were out to discredit the incident, he flunked the test. So I really you know wondered about uh, was this possibly some kind yeah. of great big government mind control experiment? So so I went online and I Googled mind control, and man, I'll tell you. The covert agencies of various governments on Earth have been up to a lot of mischief.
1: They sure have. They sure have at at the at the public's expense in more ways than one. We fund it, and then they use the citizens who have funded their project as guinea pigs.
0: Yeah, and so that made me wonder if that didn't happen to me. So you know, I've accepted the term yeah. extraterrestrial and spacecraft and that kind of thing. But to the to the, you know to be accurate, I I couldn't say they didn't communicate that to me they could be from our past our future another dimension you know or be the creation of some earth-based agency or at least in league with them
1: all right travis you and i have to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news Exo nation travis walton is our special guest we're talking about fire in the sky going back to 1975 november more with Travis when we come back to the X-Zone. His website is www.travis-walton.com. That's www.travis-walton.com. 1-800-610-7035. Worldwide toll-free. Exxon zone at X-Zone TV.com is my email address. On MSN Messenger, Exxon Radio TV at hotmail.com and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. And if you'd like to listen to this interview at any time, go to exxonepodcast.com. www.thexzonestore.com. You're listening to the X Zone radio show live and around the world on the TalkStar Radio Network. Xzone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll free telephone number worldwide is 1 800 610 7035. Our email address, Xzone at Xzone TV.com. On MSN Messenger, Xzone Radio TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradio TV.com.
0: Thank you.
1: Nation, Travis Walton is our special guest. Going back to November of 1975, a group of six tree tri- uh, trimmers were driving home from work in a truck in Arizona. The driver stopped the truck when he uh, noticed a flying saucer was hovering about 15 feet above some nearby trees. Travis Walton approached the craft on foot, despite the objections of his workmates. He was knocked to the ground by a blue and white light. Now, when the men in the truck saw... This, they were uh, terrified and sped off down the road, leaving Travis for dead. Once they uh, had calmed themselves down, they returned to the spot and couldn't find any sign of Travis or the flying saucer. Five days later, on November the uh, 10th, 1975, Travis was returned to Earth wondering what had happened to him in the past few days. Now, the the connection that I made with you several years ago, Travis, was it was November the uh the 10th 1970 uh, 1975 when the Edmund Fitzgerald sank under very very suspicious circumstances in Lake Superior and it, we also found records of uh jet interceptors being vectored to a UFO above the spot where the Edmund Fitzgerald sank wow yeah and we, we, you and I discussed this years ago.
0: I forgot about the yeah.
1: Jets. Yeah. So so you know, I, I find this is this why your story to me is is one of the top three most credible out there? Because there's the testimony of the other people that were in the truck with you. There was the testimony of the person who was with military intelligence. There were all the there was all the scrutiny that you went under. There's the, the radar vectoring of uh, the United States Air Force jets that were sent from Sethridge Air Force Base to intercept or to investigate a UFO in the skies over Lake Superior, right where the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. There were no bodies ever recovered from the Edmund Fitzgerald. So there's a lot of, a lot of facts when you put into the whole picture about your story that you have to say, my God, this can't be made up. There's too much evidence and you know your well, story you know, your your story it, it is, really is this-
0: remarkable that, that they never recovered a body because the distress signal they, they they had people on site so quickly. That's right. And the lake really wasn't all that deep and yet to never ever recover a single body is, is out of 29 people.
1: Yeah.
0: And by the way, you know, I, at that night I was making a call to my brother-in-law Grant and uh, that was uh, the name of one of the 29 that went down, uh, Grant Walton.
1: A lot of coincidences in this uh, story, my friend. Now yeah, you—you've got a new book out, don't you?
0: Yeah, uh, I've uh, revised and updated it, and finally got it out there. You know, I've been getting requests almost daily for a long time. You know, people wanting to find it, and and all they can find is the used copies online for going for hundreds of dollars. So, I finally got it done, and uh, have uh, you know. Uh, just updated it with information about you know where I'm at and and even some more recent documentation. I, I recently passed my fifth and sixth positive polygraph tests uh, in regard to this incident, which brings the total to sixteen positive polygraph tests relative to the incident. But uh, I was I was interested in getting the most um, rigid, stringent test I could get. So I went to New Mexico mm-hmm. because uh results are admissible in court there right and uh the most highly recommended um, examiner uh, does work for the uh New mexico state prison uh, uh Albuquerque uh Police Department and even the United States marshals office and uh he was employing a, a new uh, uh state of the art equipment with a uh, five trace uh machine and it, uh with a digital, um, computer scoring that, uh, parallels the examiner scoring. So, uh, it was, uh, the best available and, I, uh, passed that at the, at the highest level. So I, uh, document that in the book and, and some other interesting developments.
1: I've got a question here from another listener who's listening to us on Ustream TV. Um... His name is Rob, and and he would like to know if you have had any contact, whether in dream or through thought process, or even in maybe uh, physical contact with the the, uh, the abductors from that. Well,
0: night. you know uh, that would that would have been my biggest nightmare for a long time. Yeah. Uh, additional contact, but. You know, I get that question quite often, and my answer is always, uh, if it did happen, I wouldn't tell anybody. But as far as, you know, in in, in thought process mm-hmm. or something like that, I did start having some dreams that were different than the original nightmares, which, of course, were mainly those creatures. Uh, the, the, the dreams were more these blue uniforms. Mm. But I was talking with Colin Andrews here a, a while back, and right. he's brought something to, uh, suggested something that I hadn't thought of. He says, you know, when people are under anesthesia or unconscious, very often they will uh, record and sense uh, events around them, even though they're not actually conscious. That's right. Uh, And so uh, maybe there was some kind of uh, uh, bits of information uh, picked up in that manner.
1: Has the military ever tried to thwart you from speaking? Or, you know, we hear these stories about the men in black, well, the government agencies who have tried to make people's lives hell. Has this ever happened to you?
0: I think there was a sort of a shot at that. Uh, a guy came to town. Uh, he uh, showed his ID, a, a badge. Uh, he was a federal criminal investigator, and he was trying to uh, concoct some kind of a scheme and pin it on the crew boss concerning uh, government contracts. And he wrote up a confession and tried to get Mike to sign. He's a sign, and that. that's not even true. And so uh, the guy left town uh, quite angry, but uh, mm-hmm. unsuccessful. And uh, But I think the message was, shut up or, uh, or else. We can make life difficult for you. And the reason I think that is because I found that out later that he'd gone down and... Uh, uh consulted the uh, sheriff's file on the investigation of the UFO incident which was totally unrelated to what he was in town for so
1: how have the people in town uh, come to ex- uh, you know to to accept what happened uh, going back to November 1975 and how has your family been able to cope with these events over the years
0: well, you know, the movie focused on the negative reaction of yeah. the town, and there cert- certainly was that, you know, but it wasn't—it uh, wasn't all bad, and that actually added more to the turmoil because people were so divided on it. Like the town marshal didn't believe it, but his wife did. However, his brother, who was a former sheriff and also a, a county deputy, did believe it, but his wife didn't. So, just among those four, you had a division that. Was, you know split down the middle of the marriage so you know throughout town there was a lot of controversy but a lot of that had to do with disinformation that was being put out there you know theories that i'd had a transitory psychosis or a drug hallucination and all these kinds of uh things uh and uh all that was disproved later and so that information is gradually filtered out to them and and so you know it's it's reduced that but there. There's still people out there who think all they proved that was a, a drug hallucination. But uh, the truth was I, I had blood and urine samples put through the county medical examiner's drug screen, mm-hmm. which showed no trace of any drug. And I had a whole battery of psychiatric exams that showed that I was perfectly normal and, you know, there was nothing like of that nature. But, you know, both of those theories don't take into account that... Uh, Seven people had the same quote-unquote hallucination.
1: Are the seven of you still close? Do you talk about the events or have you drifted your own separate ways?
0: Well, you know, we weren't close at the time. We were just a crew of guys that were together for the purpose of the job and Mm -hmm. really didn't hang out with each other, uh, you know, as a group. uh, You know, even while we were a, a, a crew that worked together. So, you know, we really I don't think there's been a a reunion except maybe for one uh, picture for uh, an article once uh, in all these years. As a matter of fact, I hadn't heard from the youngest guy on the crew, uh, Steve, uh, for about 30 years or more, and he called me a few months ago. And, and uh, his memory of everything is just as vivid as everything. Of course, you know, there was always a little, uh, you know, interaction with the crew, you know, not necessarily on a friendly basis. When, when he first saw my book come out reporting about, uh, you know, him being one of the ones that was crying when the sheriff came to talk to the crew, right? he was mad about that. And he'd come over to my house and he wanted to fight, but, uh, you know, I was able to make him understand that, you know, he wasn't the only one crying and he wasn't the only one upset. And, you know, if anybody was the most scared, it was me. So, Um, I was, you know, again, trying to straighten things out with this last contact with him over the issue of the crew running off and leaving me. You know, I've, I've heard comments from, I still get them occasionally where people say, yeah, real bunch of heroes there. But, you know, I do not find fault with those guys for doing that. And I do commend them for having the courage to come back and try to rescue me that night. And, uh, I always want to get that out there because, you know, a lot of people think that they sort of betrayed me. But, you know, when they saw me get hit, Mm -hmm. they thought they were so sure that I was uh, dead that, you know, one or two of them even yelled that out right when it happened. And so they figured they were next. They didn't have any weapons. And what good would it do to greater endanger themselves when I'm already dead? So it was understandable that if they thought they were next, they would take off.
1: Travis, what was your last conscious memory?
0: Uh, I recall waking up face down. Cold air brought me awake. Uh, I was kind of at the edge of the road, a pavement, and Mm -hmm. uh, there was a light above me. I looked up in time to see this craft take off. And uh, then uh, I looked around and recognized uh, the town down below and ran down and uh, called my family.
1: What would you say Travis to someone who may be listening somewhere on this great planet of ours who has had an experience they've been taken aboard a craft and returned and they don't know what to do? What would you Well, you
0: know that that's a question I get a lot and I I don't think I'm very helpful on that score because everybody has to really weigh um the two factors. What mm-hmm. what how would this affect me to know for sure whether something happened you know go undergo hypnosis or whatever and then you know having established that how would it affect my life in my present situation to have other people know about what happened and and whether they want to come forward or not is really a, a personal choice and for myself I wouldn't recommend it but uh, yeah. you know like I say it's uh, it, like I, I was saying that you know if it happened again I wouldn't come forward because uh, uh, of the and that it's brought to my life.
1: How did, how did the, the events going back to 1975 affect your, your family?
0: Well, you know, um, it, disbelievers, uh, you know, haven't really confronted me directly. I'm not the kind of person that put up with that, yeah. but, uh, the little things that the undercurrent, the subtext, the, the the things that you really don't have any control over, you know, that can be very frustrating. But I have come gradually to a situation where I just care a whole lot less what those kind of people think, because when I say those kind of people, it's the kind of person who passes judgment without having examined the evidence. You know, in the book, I quote Emerson, mm-hmm. um, Condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. And so, you know, all I really insisted on is that if people are going to decide whether they, you know, believe this really happened or not, take a look at the facts first, and then decide. You know, and then it's up to you. I, I, I don't claim to have absolute proof. What happened,
1: happened. Travis, we have to take our final break for this hour, but when we come back, I'd like you to answer this question. Do you consider yourself to be a ufologist? Do you follow UFOs? Do you pay interest into the phenomenon. And if not, why not? We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with Travis Walton from Fire in the Sky, Exon Nation. He's got his new book out. It's available by going to his website at www.traviswalton.com That's That's travis waltoncom I'm sorry, www.travis-walton.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. More with Travis Walton as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.wentechfails.com and wwwm www.thexzonestore.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Genix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist
0: There's only one song worth singing, they may try and sell you.
1: Travis Walton is our special guest of this hour, XO Now, if you'd like to get a copy of the new Fire in the Sky, you can only get it through Travis's website at www.travis-walton.com. His email address is there. Send Travis an email directly, and uh, he'll uh, tell you exactly how to proceed and get a copy of his book. Travis, before we went to the commercial break, I asked you if... If you're active in uh, in UFO research, alien abduction, and, and if not, why?
0: Well, you know, I haven't been in it and it's been a coping strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I had enough on my hands to deal with what happened to me. Right. And uh, you know, the the field is, you know, kind of spotty with what you can rely on and what sure. you can't, so I just I just kind of focused on what I what I could handle, which is what happened to me, and and sort of shut all that out for a while. I was I was cautious about letting the whole you know uh, genre take over my life, but over time I've gradually you know picked up on a few things. Right. Uh, uh, I haven't been a student of of the subject at all, and so. You know, when people ask me about my opinion about other examiner, uh, other investigators, or other um, cases, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I decline to comment because, you know, there's there's some good ones and there's some bad <laughs> ones, and uh, without having done investigation, I, I don't feel that it would be right to comment. You know, I have to live by the the standard I I ask for my own case uh, is to not uh, a judge without uh, investigation. So, um, um, however, in these latter days, I have been thinking about doing something, and that would be to put together a little bit of a pamphlet or some mm-hmm. a little small guidebook about how uh, best to conduct investigations into the subject. Having been on the receiving end of that sure. kind of thing, I think I could uh, be helpful in, in setting some standards that might... Uh, you know, elevate the field and increase respectability with the, the the mainstream media.
1: Travis, we're running out of time really fast. Uh, here's my final question for you. When you look up in the sky at night and you see all those stars, what do you think about
0: it? Well you know, it's not the same at all as it was before those years. I, I realize the uh, the the vastness of the it's becoming more and more of a of just a Mm -hmm. a fact of life, that that there are other planets out there and that there is life out there and it's intelligent life. And, uh, you know, someday it's not going to be some uh, supernatural sort of uh, monster sort of thing. It's going to be those different sort of people that live way over there that we don't quite know very about.
1: Travis, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure talking to you. I wish you and yours the very best. And I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. Take care of yourself, my friend. You take care. Bye-bye. Travis Walton. If you'd like to get a copy of his new book, Fire in the Sky, his updated book, his website is www.travis-walton.com. Click on his contact information, send him an email, and he'll uh, contact you and you'll be able to get your copy. More of the Exxon on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable, as well as Ustream TV. We'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away.